Good morning. My name is Daniel. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Central and definitely want to wish Christ Central a happy ninth anniversary and definitely want to thank Chien so much for that story of grace, uh, such a powerful and timely story for all of us to hear uh, of just God's faithfulness and the ways that he uses the church to bless and encourage and strengthen and heal all of us in the midst of our pain. And it is a timely story of grace uh, as we are in a time of grief uh, as a church family. Uh, many of you may know, but a beloved sister of our church, Jessica Moon, I went to be with the Lord uh, earlier this month, and we're reminded to continue to pray for her family, for her husband, Peter, for their sons, Elijah, Joshua, and Jonah, and let's continue to be loving on them, supporting them as they grieve uh, during this time. We're continuing in our series on spiritual warfare. Our passage today comes from Acts chapter 19, verses 11 to 20. You can turn there in your Bibles, and we'll also have it on the screen. Let's give our attention and reverence, for this is the reading of God's Word. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirits answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was this evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. This is God's word. In this passage in Acts 19, we find one of the more humorous stories in the Bible where these would-be spiritual men go up against evil spirits, but they end up getting literally beat up and humiliated, even to the point of their clothes being stripped off as they run away. And although there is certainly something funny about this story, it's still also an important warning for all of us, especially as we celebrate our ninth anniversary it's a strong reminder that Christ must continue to remain central to all that we do as we continue to engage in spiritual warfare. As long as we're doing the work of the kingdom of God, as long as we're reaching people with the gospel, as long as the gospel is changing lives, there will be a spiritual battle because you know Satan doesn't like those things. And for us, for us in our context in 2020 in the Western world, we may not often see spiritual warfare the way we do in our Bible text today with outright demonic possession. Um, of course, I'm not trying to say that it never happens, but just we don't see it often. 
But regardless, Satan is always working to distract, to deceive, to oppress, whether it be in overt ways or subtle ways. And so the question for us today is, how do we make sure we don't end up getting spiritually beat down like the sons of Sceva? Well, I think the first thing we see in this passage, it just rings loud and clear. The folly of the sons of Sceva is this. In the spiritual battle, we must recognize that you cannot fight with someone else's faith. We can't fight with someone else's faith because we need weapons for warfare. And it's true also for spiritual warfare. But you can't use someone else's sword. You can't use someone else's shield. It has to be your knowledge of the word, the sword of the spirit, the word of God. It has to be your faith, that shield of faith that protects us from the attacks of the enemy. Now, I know in uh, the most recent Avengers movie, Captain America used someone else's weapon. He used Thor's hammer and the whole theater that I was in, they cheered when that happened. But that's not how, how spiritual warfare works. We have to have our own weapons. It has to be your own sword, your own shield, your own faith, not someone else's. Calling out to the name of Jesus. It has to be a personal, such a personal thing that happens. It has to be something so personal for you and not just some formula, not just something you're mimicking. And the seven sons of Sceva were trying to fight using someone else's weapon. They were trying to fight the spiritual battle against this evil spirit using Paul's faith. That's why they say in verse 13, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. And you got to ask yourself, why do they got to add that? Whom Paul proclaims. It's because they didn't know Jesus directly. They only knew of Jesus because of what Paul was doing. And they didn't come to Jesus directly. And it was like for them, Jesus was just a friend of a friend. But really, they probably didn't even know Paul either. So it was more like a friend of an acquaintance. And in verse 15, we see how the evil spirit responds. And I think it's quite telling. The evil spirit says, Jesus I know and Paul I recognize. But who are you? Even the demon differentiates. He knows there's a difference. Jesus I know. Paul, I recognize some, some Bible translations even say, Paul, I know about. So I know Jesus and I know about Paul. And the idea is that Jesus is important even to the demons, right? We all remember James 2, 19 that tells us that the demons even believe in God and they shudder. And even they make this distinction. Yeah, I, I know about Paul, but it's really Jesus I care about. And that's what the seven sons of Siva didn't recognize. They didn't realize that they needed to have a personal relationship, a personal connection to Jesus. They thought they could just add and name drop Paul's name and it would be good enough. They latched on to Paul. They latched on to Paul's faith. They latched on to the good stuff Paul was doing. And in the spiritual battle, that ultimately led them to defeat. And the warning for us is we should never allow ourselves to latch on to anyone else's faith that has to be our own faith. We should never allow ourselves to get overly dependent on any one person for our spiritual vitality other than Jesus. We have to be careful not to get overly dependent on any one spiritual figure or any one pastor even. 
no matter how good they are, lest we veer from being latched on to Jesus directly, lest we veer from having a faith of our own, lest we veer from keeping Christ central, especially in the spiritual battle. About this time of year, many Christians celebrate the anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. And it just happens to be that it does coincide with also the anniversary of Christ Central becoming a church. And we know that the Protestant Reformation is a little more important than that, right? Uh, Of course, the Protestant Reformation was a pivotal time in Christian history where many, many Christians broke away from the Roman Catholic Church uh, due to the church's errors and abuses. And many of the reformers during that time believed that we shouldn't be overly dependent even on the church. One such reformer was William Tyndale. He was famous for being a major player in getting the Bible translated to English in the 1500s. And there's a pretty well-known story about how he was having an argument with a Catholic priest. And in, in Tyndale's estimation, this priest didn't really know the Bible very well. And he didn't seem to care that much that he didn't know the Bible well, well or that his flock didn't really know the Bible well. And Tyndale, he, he retorted with this. He said, if God spare my life ere many years, I will cause a boy that driveth the plow shall know more of the scripture than thou dost. In other words, he was saying, if God lets me, if God allows me, if I don't get killed sooner than this, I will work on translating the Bible into English so that even the plowboy out in the field will be able to read and study the Bible on his own. And he'll actually know more of the Bible than you. And it was this idea that even reading and studying the scriptures should not be something that only pastors or the church leadership should have an exclusive hold on. That was a major principle of the Protestant Reformation, that all of God's people should have access to his word. Because all of God's people need to have their own faith and their own personal relationship with Jesus. All of God's people need to have their own sword and their own shield. Now, of course, there is a place and purpose for the church and its leadership. Uh, In Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 12, it says this. God gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, which is the pastors and elders, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Yes, the church exists to equip you. Yes, the church exists to train you, to build you up. But not to have a faith for you. Not to have faith for you while you don't have a faith that's personal. Not to read the Bible for you while you don't read the Bible. Not to even pray for you while you don't pray. Of course, we love to pray for all of our people. But we pray for you as you also pray. The church is here to equip you so that you can fight the spiritual battle with your own armor. With your own weapons. Spiritual power, basically, the point, the point is spiritual power cannot be attained secondhand. You got to get it direct from Jesus. Jesus cannot be that friend of a friend. And faith in him isn't something you can borrow from somebody. 
You got to go direct to Jesus. And of course, we're going to have our teachers and our coaches to guide us along the way. Of course, we're going to need brothers and sisters to support us and to strengthen us and to care for us, especially in our times of weakness. But the goal, the goal is for you to be equipped, trained, and matured spiritually so that your swords can be even sharpened, so that your shields of faith can even be bolstered. And when that happens, your spiritual vitality, it won't be so dependent on uh, what's trending right now. When we're maturing spiritually, when our swords are being sharpened, and it's our own swords, it's our own faith, it's our own shields, your spiritual vitality won't be so dependent on What's the newest bestseller in the religion section in the bookstore? It also won't be so dependent on who's preaching this Sunday. When Christ is at the center, you're, when you're going directly to Jesus, when you're listening uh, to a great preacher or to a very ordinary preacher, if you're going to Christ directly, if you're going to his word directly, you will be fed. You will be sharpened. Don't just have other people go to Jesus for you. You can go directly to him. In fact, Jesus died on the cross so that you would be able to do that. The curtain of the temple was torn into two so that you can have access to him directly. And when you believe in Jesus, because of his blood, you are purified. You are cleansed. So beautifully symbolized in baptism. And you get full access to him. You don't need other people to go to him for you. And in fact, if you're relying on other people to go to him for you and you're never going to him directly, you will find yourself beat down and defeated in the spiritual battle. So you might be thinking, all right, I I get it. I, I, I need to have a faith that is my own. I can't latch on to someone else's faith. I get it. I want to keep Christ central in the spiritual battle. I hear you, pastor. But, but how do I know I'm doing that? What are the marks of Christ being central in my spiritual battles? And let me answer that with another question. First, we have to get to this. Quite simply, how do you answer that question? But who are you? But who are you? Satan, he is savvy. I hope you know that about him. Satan is savvy and he's a tactician. And we know for a fact that when the evil spirit said, but who are you to the sons of Sceva? That was like the knockout punch that was just going to get them. Because he got them to fix their eyes on themselves. And he got them to look inward instead of looking upward. And because they were relying on Paul's faith instead of a faith of their own, they actually weren't able to look upward to Jesus. All they could do was look inward. But what will you say when the satanic attacks come and the evil voice does say, but who are you? Is the answer clear to you? Because the answer can't be, well, uh, I'm a churchgoer. I go to church. I go to Christ Central. It's a good church. That can't be the answer. The answer can't be, uh, well, I'm friends with Pastor Harold Kim. I'm friends with Pastor Jimmy Hahn. I listen to their preaching every week. 
that can't be the answer. It can't be uh, my mom, my grandma. They've been praying for me my whole life. That cannot be the answer to, but who are you? I read this one book. I heard this one sermon. No, those are not answers. If those are the things that are the first thing that come out of your mouth, you will get beat down too. And for maybe some of you, your answer is entirely negative. Maybe you might answer that question, I'm no one. I'm weak. I'm unlovable. I'm a fraud. And believe me, Satan will have a field day with that too. But what is the answer to who are you? What must it be? The answer has to be, yeah, I'm a sinner. But I'm saved. I'm saved by Jesus. I'm saved through his life, his death, and his resurrection. And when Christ is central, you will look at yourself as you hear that question. But then you'll immediately look upward to Jesus. And you can say, I'm someone who's forgiven. I'm someone who needs to be changed and who is being changed from the inside out, not by my own strength, but through Jesus and only Jesus. The answer is not, I go to Christ central. I go to that church. The answer is, Christ is central to me, to my life, to my heart, to my identity. And when you are keeping Christ central, even if it's not perfect, even if it's not 24-7, but just real and true, the demons will not succeed. They will try and they will try, but they will not succeed. Something else I want you to see uh, in our passage today is after the sons of Sceva, they get beat up. The people, they get so scared that they actually end up praising Jesus. Our passage tells us that the name of Jesus was extolled And people start to confess and turn away from uh, all the ways that their lives were not in line with Jesus and what Jesus commands. And in verse 19, it tells us, A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Some commentators say that if you... Uh, converted that to money for us here now, it could be as much as $6 million worth of books that were destroyed. And for some of these people, this was their livelihood. This was their job. They were, trying, they were conjurers. They were trying to be spiritual, pagan spiritual people. And they were using these books as their guides. For some of these people, these were a, a, a valuable collection of pagan and worldly wisdom that they perhaps accumulated over a lifetime. And the question is, here's the second mark. What's, how do I know Christ is central in my life and in my heart as I fight the spiritual battle? Here's the second question. Is there any costliness to your faith? Is there a costliness? After the failure of the sons of Sceva, it, it, it actually... By the grace of God and the power of God, it led people to Christ. And it led them to come to Christ with a costly repentance. 
Basically, they said, you know what? I've been chasing false gods. I've been chasing uh, false spiritualities. I've been chasing false power. I've been chasing false understandings of success. And I'm willing to give it up. Even if it is costly. Because I see that Christ is so much greater. And I want to ask you, is there a costliness to your faith? Is there ever a cost for you? Have you ever had to give anything up for the sake of Jesus? Have you ever had to be uncomfortable for the sake of Jesus? Have you ever had to lose esteem or popularity for the sake of Jesus? The missionary and author uh, Elizabeth Elliot, whose husband, Jim Elliot, also was killed on the mission field, she once wrote this. To be a follower of the crucified means sooner or later a personal encounter with the cross. And the cross always entails loss. The great symbol of Christianity means sacrifice. And no one who calls himself a Christian can evade this stark fact. Basically, she's saying it's normal. It's normal for people who follow the one who would sacrifice himself to save us. To be able to make sacrifices and even experience loss for the glory of Christ. Be it intentional sacrifices or unintentional. Whether the losses we experience are by choice or because it's something happening to us. The great question is, are we able, are we even willing to have that costly faith? The sons of Sceva, they invoked the name of Jesus because it was trending at that time. Uh, For them, there was no cost. It was only gain in their minds. But of course, the only thing they ended up gaining was that beatdown. And we have to remember, if you've been at our church even just for a few weeks, I hope you've heard this enough times, that salvation, yes, it is a free gift, that there is nothing you could ever do to earn the love of God. You don't have to earn his love. It's a gift of his grace. But following Jesus will always bear a cost because there will always be opposition because this is spiritual warfare. Satan will oppose you in all the ways that he can if you are following Jesus, especially through the systems of this world. And there will always be a cost in spiritual warfare because there will always be an occasion where you have to choose between Jesus and your idols. Maybe your idols of comfort, your idols of control, or idols of power or recognition. And there will even always be a cost because, quite simply, we live in a fallen world. Where suffering is an inevitability. And even then, even in those dark moments, it will be a spiritual battle. How do we get a costly faith like that? How can, how can we manage to even get a costly faith like that? We can only get a costly faith when we have received a costly grace. The infinitely precious blood of Jesus was spilled on the cross. It wasn't just anyone who died for you. It was the son of God, the blameless one, the one who certainly did not deserve a criminal's punishment on a cross. The one who only deserved praise and honor and respect. The eternal son of God who would come down to this earth and become a man. And he would go up to a cross 
to save people like you and me. It's a costly grace. It was a costly blood that was spilled. And that's how we can start to have a costly faith. The point is not, Jesus died for you. Now now what are you going to do for him? It's not some guilt trip, but it is this. It is the reality that those who have received a costly grace like this, a costly, infinitely, infinitely precious gift like this, will invariably lead to a costly faith. I love the story of Jean Valjean in Les Miserables, where early on in his life, he experienced a radical and costly mercy. And that leads to him living a life of radical and costly mercy. And I do think that's a beautiful picture of the gospel. That we can have a costly faith only because we've received a costly grace. For those who are listening in at this time, if maybe you're not yet a believer, perhaps you have felt and even seen the failure of the sons of Sceva in your own life. Maybe you have experienced this where you feel like, man, this just the, the, what the world is telling me about success and power and spirituality, it's just not working. I implore you, come to Jesus directly. You can come to Jesus directly. He died on a cross so that you could come to him directly, especially through his word and especially through his gospel. Or maybe you're someone who's called yourself a Christian for a long time, but you feel like, man, I've just been losing the spiritual battles. You just feel like, man, this hasn't been working for me. Perhaps it's because you've been trying to fight this spiritual war with someone else's weapons, with other people's faith and not your own. And I implore you, come to Jesus directly. You can come to Jesus directly. He died on a cross so that you could come to him directly, especially through his word and especially through his gospel. And beloved church, Christ Central, as we enter our 10th year as a church, let us continue to keep Christ Central in all that we do. And our our leadership, our elders, our pastors, our staff, we're all working hard to better and better equip and train and build our people up so that they could have their own swords and sharpened swords so that they could have their own shields, bolstered shields for the sake of the spiritual battle that lies ahead. And as long as Christ remains central, we will fight the spiritual battle well. That is a guarantee. Let's pray. Lord, we are grateful as we look back on nine years of your faithfulness. Lord, but we have no illusions that we have arrived. Lord, there's so much work to be done. There's so much uh, wars and battles to be fought with the enemy. And God, we do ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, which is greater than any spirit of this world or any spirit of even Satan, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would you continue to lead us Draw our gazes away from ourselves and upward to Christ. Lord, would you continue to keep us running directly to him, 
trusting, resting, hoping, strengthened, healed. Because we're abiding in the vine who is Jesus. Help us, we pray. Would you continue to help us for the sake of reaching the lost, for the sake of strengthening your sheep, for the sake of proclaiming your gospel to the ends of the earth. Lord, we we seek to do that for the glory of Christ's name, that Christ's name would be extolled and for the good of all your people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.